The Melting Pot. Hosted by Dominic Munkas. Hello and welcome to The Melting Pot Podcast. I'm Dominic Munkhouse. And today I'm joined by Alan Felice, serial entrepreneur, fintech wizard, founder and currently chairman at YoYo Wallet. They're the fastest growing mobile loyalty payment platform in Europe. In the UK, they've got Cafe Nero on their books and Alan's got Starbucks in his sights. I'm going to be talking to him about business, things he's got right, things he hasn't always got right. He's going to tell me about his journey, his thoughts on Brexit and fintech, and the future. Here's Alan. I'm Alain Felice. I'm in London, based here. I'm the co-founder and chairman of YoYo Wallet. YoYo is a platform for retailers which enables them to use the mobile payments to create a very different, totally digital loyalty experience for their, their consumers, but also understand their consumers' behaviors. So YoYo is able to extract data about what you buy, what we call the basket data, and link it to a profile and enable retailers to really know their customers and provide a very personalized loyalty experience. That's the essence of what we do. And why did you start that business? So I started five years ago with two of the chaps, Michael Rolfe and Dave Nicholson. And at the time I was a venture partner in a, in a fund in, in London, which was known as Imperial Innovations. It's part of IP Group now. And I was on the receiving end of a lot of you know, potentially interesting startup ideas. So entrepreneurs would pitch usually pretty early stage things that they had in mind or projects they had started to work on and, and I was really not impressed with what I saw uh, when it came to mobile payments, retailer marketing and, and these things. They were either companies pitching payment-only solutions, very convoluted, complicated sort of user experiences around digital payments or I was seeing companies focusing just on loyalty and I was really not that impressed. And then I saw at the time what Starbucks were achieving in the US specifically, but starting to bring into the UK, which was a, a mobile app. When you fire the app, you could, there was a QR code and you could pay at the Starbucks with a QR code. It was an instant payment, contactless obviously. And you, get, you would get your stars, right? And your free coffees and so on. And I was really intrigued by that because for the first time I, I saw a retailer pushing a technology which made sense to them, as opposed to the industry trying to push technologies that make sense to the industry. I'm talking about the cars industry and banks and telcos and, of course, phone manufacturers. So that was the inspiration. And we decided that it was time to create a similar experience, democratize it for all retailers, not just you know, the ones that could afford to have the proprietary solutions like Starbucks, mm -hmm. and really combine the data, the rich data that sits into any point of sale software to the payment experience to, so that you can effectively completely transform the interaction between retailers and, and consumers. And are you against having big retailers on your platform? Or, or is it? We want them. <laughs> we have them actually. We okay. have Cafe Nero. Okay. Um, 
I am in no doubt that we will one day have Starbucks as well because as our network of users of Yoyo grows, we're now approaching the million users, we are going to be very attractive also to Starbucks because it's, think of Yoyo as a marketplace where effectively you have a consumer network you can reach out to. So you may not go to Starbucks on a regular basis, but you may use Yoyo uh, in different outlets in different retail environments. So the, the idea is really to attract um, all retailers on Yoyo. By the way, we didn't start with retailers, we started with university campuses. Okay. Or retailers within university campuses. That was back five years ago. And now we are live in about 17 universities in the UK where students, professors, staff use Yoyo every day to pay for things, even to go to shops, to go to the pub and so on and so forth. And then we started to deploy Yoyo in a whole raft of corporate environments. Like if you work at Accenture today or JP Morgan or at Visa head office or Harley Davidson, you pay with Yoyo every day in the canteen, the cafeteria. So that was the starting point of Yoyo and we're continuing to deploy in these environments because it's creating a fantastic user network. And we started to attract retailers like Cafe Nero is our greatest example because it's a retailer that's really embraced the Yoyo digital payment and loyalty platform. We've created their own app and they're really marketing it because they want to identify more customers and provide them with a better experience every day. We already represent close to 9% of their payment volume after just one year, right? And it took, you know, Starbucks three or four years to get there. And now uh, we're expecting that within the next 12 months, we'd reach about a quarter of all their payment volume would be on Yoyo. So we are targeting the large retailers with an offering which is, we believe, superior on the market. On, on their side, why, what, what's the compelling, compelling metrics for Cafe Nero? Are they more coffee, higher purchase, longer, longer dwell times? What, what do they see in the user base? Well, the actual uh, net benefit is increased sales. Mm -hmm. But the starting point was, I would like to know my customers. So you may not know this, but when you pay with your card, contactless or otherwise, or Apple Pay or Samsung Pay or cash, obviously, the retailers has no idea who you are. And, and not only that, card payment, whether contactless or not, doesn't transport any rich data, meaning uh, data about the line items of what you've actually purchased that is not transported within the the card or bank networks. Yeah. So the starting point for retailer is identifying customers. And then the second one was to create an experience, loyalty experience, which basically would, would get rid of all these paper, paper loyalty cards. In the case of the Caffeinero, they have this iconic paper card. You buy nine coffees, you get one free. Yeah. So they wanted to obviously replace that with a 21st century version, which was for the digitally native. So. That's what we created for them, is that experience for, their, for them and for their consumers. So what they get from it is they are now able to engage with the consumer through the app, provide more personalized loyalty programs, more loyalty, more, more personalized experiences. Um, they're able to surprise and delight, which is something that marketers wants, want to do. And all these campaigns that they are creating through the YoYo platform, which manifest themselves within the app through uh, push notifications, messaging in the app is resulting in a much greater engagement. So that increases sales uh, mm -hmm. eventually and that's the idea. 
also from a retailer perspective and from the consumer perspective is I now have a, an app with which I can pay I get my stamps when I get enough stamps in my digital card on the, on the, in the app I receive my voucher mm -hmm. I can share my voucher with my friends and my family I get some offers I get a digital receipt it's all in one so it's pretty compelling for the consumer standpoint. The experience is much better than all the other methods that I mentioned. Having all of those paper cards in the top of your desk drawer and never having enough to go and get one free cup of coffee. Exactly, or having them in the, in the, in the laundry. <laughs> UK obviously was the, the starting country. Fantastic market to start something like Yo-Yo for a number of reasons, but mainly because it's a market where both retailers and consumers embrace new technologies, if they made sense to them, uh, more quickly than perhaps other markets in Europe. Mm -hmm. And you know, we already know that UK is a, the, the, the greatest e-commerce market and, and, and was the, the fastest to adopt contactless technologies and so on. So doing this in the UK was the right thing to do. We're also now um, deploying in different other markets. We're going to be Poland very soon, already deployed in the Republic of Ireland. We're live in Luxembourg, uh, we're going to deploy in Germany later this year. So we're expanding into Europe by following our customers. Uh, we're in discussion but with large your, your multinational... Re, your retailers, following yeah. your retailers. Yeah, yeah, retailers specifically. But also in some cases also some corporate customers. Like JP Morgan have offices in Luxembourg and people use Yo-Yo in those offices as well. Okay. As well as here in the city. So we have... Um, a, an expansion strategy for Europe which is effectively follow our multinational customers and we are in discussion with large multinational groups not just in food and beverage but also in the uh, in, in the uh, sort of more the grocery grocery chains because it you could use your technology in any environment platform is totally international yeah it has to be I mean it's you know we agnostic to the payment system so you can you can actually attach a funding source on yo-yo which, which is your credit card, your debit card, it could be a Visa, it could be others. And we are totally open to uh, any type of payment method which may be used, let's say, in Germany or in Austria, in Spain and so on. So we have effectively the ability to attach any type of payment system to YoYo because the essence of YoYo is not the payment itself, although you pay with YoYo. This all the experience around loyalty and digital receipts and rewards that is the, the main feature. And so London, massive hub for fintech. Yeah. Pre-Brexit. For sure. What do you think about Brexit? Does that did that throw a spanner in the works of your your business plan? Is it are you agnostic? It doesn't throw a spanner in the works of our business plan only because we do not have to have a regulated entity mm -hmm. to operate yo-yo like if you give you an example you know we are thinking of doing the US really well in earnest next year we will not have to be regulated as a money transmitter license for instance because we are going to be effectively working with the existing payment rails which are regulated to be able to provide the same experience the same service without having to ourselves collect money or disperse money to merchants. So I don't want to enter into the details of that, but, but, but the end effect is that 
we don't need to be regulated on the payment side of things. We're obviously regulated around GDPR and, and, and or equivalent regulations around data, obviously, in various countries. But we don't need to do that. And, and that same example can apply for the rest of Europe, meaning that when we deploy in Germany or other markets, we do not have to have the passported yeah. regulation that we have here because we have found different models to actually provide the same service and piggybacking on existing acquiring relationships, for instance, that merchants may have to, uh, to be able to, to offer yo-yo. So from a regulatory standpoint, we're not really affected. We obviously are going to watch what goes on here, but frankly, we treat the UK as a market, then we would treat France as a market and treat Germany as a market. Obviously, France and Germany thrive. It's also good for us. It's a way of hedging as well. Things slow down here, mm -hmm. which is the other consideration, obviously, that the economy may slow down, although we don't know that just yet. But of course, as we expand uh, with our platform, we'll be able to, uh, to, to adjust to, to these adverse circumstances. So we're not going to be a, just a UK company. If you, if you speak yeah. next, you know, this time next year, you will see that we are in quite a few countries. You have your finger on the pulse of fintech startups in London. Have you seen a, a change in the marketplace post-Brexit vote? Well, I've read figures that says that there is a slowdown, but of course you have also these massive fundings that you know, have taken place, the growth funding of some of the fintechs here. What's interesting is that the, the, the larger funding rounds have actually gone to companies that have a true international outlook mm -hmm. as opposed to UK only. Right. I mean, the latest one being Revolut, for instance. Mm -hmm. And, and we've also been lucky in our funding strategy, having raised effectively, you know, our last round, 12 million sterling was in, in June last year, you know, bang in the middle of the, the one of the Brexit-related sort of crisis. So we've been lucky to be able to raise money because we're actually creating an internationally uh, mobile platform. And that's true of other fintech startups. What you do see also is that uh, if you look at some of the largest exits, both on the acquisition side but also on the IPO side, in fintech have taken place, if you look at the last three or four months, in continental Europe. So Adyen just IPO'd uh, with a valuation which was expected to be the order of 7 billion euros and has gone up to about 13 billion. That's Amsterdam-based uh, acquiring company. And of course, Izeno which was going to IPO based out of Sweden, got acquired by PayPal for $2.2 billion. So, you know, it's not just London. I think we have to be careful here in London that we, sh we shouldn't be too complacent. We live in a bit of a bubble, albeit a big bubble, but uh, and there are other markets out there where truly global fintech companies can thrive. Uh, and it's just the market, not just the market, but location like Sweden is obviously was not the prime market of IZO, but they managed to create a, a very international company. So yeah, you will see some, uh, perhaps some, some slowdown of investment here in some of the, uh, the tech companies. I think the fintech companies that have a truly international outlook will, will thrive anyway. And what do you see looking at the markets across Europe? Do you see different pace of development? Because it used to be that certainly the UK, as you say, was well ahead, Germany may be a little bit behind, Spain and Italy, a Mediterranean rim further behind again in terms of digital adoption. Is that, is that still you're following countries, you're into countries which are 
Yeah, well, it depends what digital adoption you're talking about, right? right. I mean, the you know, you, e-commerce is, is obviously been a, a prime way of actually shopping here in the UK for some years, and the other European markets have actually been slower to to adopt e-commerce in earnest. Now, of course, you know a lot of them have caught up. Although I think the UK is still is still a bit of a, ahead of the game. But e-commerce actually, you know, catching up, you know, really, really fast in many markets. And you have like big giants like Zalando in Germany, which made a big difference, obviously. On the payment side of things, this is where the picture is a little bit more, more varied. You will see less uh, adoption of contactless technologies or digital payments in Germany. Cash is still a dominant force in the, in, in the German, German economy. It's a mindset thing. I believe there is also an element of, 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 of culture whereby digital payment is often associated with, you know, control, perhaps, in a country which is very wary of, of, of centralized controls. I do believe that, you know, cash will disappear over time as well, or will, 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 will be a, a minority form of payment in Germany as well. I just think it's going to take longer. Mm-hmm. I mean, other markets like Spain seems to be catching up more quickly in this sort of the digital payment revolution. So... Let's see, there are, uh, countries you know, operate at very, or move at very different pace, I find, uh, when it comes to, to payment. There's still a long way to go, still a long way to go. And what else are you involved in in the UK? So my interest is also in the new technologies, uh, or the new business models that are enabled by blockchain and the crypto market in general. So it's difficult to ignore uh, blockchain completely. I think they are very antagonistic views of, of blockchains are either completely useless or it's incredibly uh, transformative and I mean my, my opinion sits in the, bit in the middle. I've been involved as an investor with, in a number of blockchain, let's call them projects, which have become over the months or over the years uh, for the oldest one have become actually uh, you know proper technologies because I do believe that as a general concept the distributed database, the distributed ledgers, the decentralized aspect of blockchain will actually have a lot of transformative applications, even in payments, in financial services, in insurance, uh, in farming, and so on. So I, I believe that there's going to be tremendous potential by the t- t- technology. I'm really interested in actually backing infrastructure plays mm-hmm. that help blockchains scale or blockchains uh, become more secure you know, maybe reduce the dependency on miners. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on, but it's super early. So I look at it as a, you know, as a bit of a curiosity, but at the same time, I think it's, it's, it's going to affect more and more industry. So I'd like to be really plugged into that scene as well. So I'm spending quite a bit of time on that, not just in London, by the way, also Switzerland, also Asia and North America. So I'm looking at, at different things in different markets that are, have a common thread or common theme, which is you know infrastructure. I think it's a little early to see real applications. There are some. I'm looking at a few, but they're very early. Like applications as in things that you and I could use that are entirely on the blockchain. Of course, the only one that well, not the only one, but the the main one that people can see is actually Bitcoin and yeah. Ethereum and so on, which is also very interesting because uh, philosophically, that's a very interesting. Uh, set of, you know, a new way of actually looking at financing and finances in general. 
but that's the real application of the blockchain. But there are so many other things that can be done. So I'm really interested in that. Any particular startups that you've seen recently where you thought too early but really exciting? Well, some of the startups I've been involved in are, for instance, uh, Orchid, which is effectively creating a global VPN, as it were, where the censors, uh, meaning the government, Chinese government or any other government, the CIA, you name it, would not be able to actually control or tamper with your uh, ability to access the internet. So when that actually is available, it's going to make a lot of transformation in, in, some market, in some countries where dictatorship actually have a control on, 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 on your access to, uh, to the internet. I'm thinking about China, but also other, other markets. And increasingly, there's an increasing number of countries which are reversing from you know, uh, true democracies to uh, more authoritarian states. So Orchid is, is, is a very interesting technology which, which, is, which is promising to create that sensorless, totally um, permissionless distributed VPN. So that's one of them. I'm actually also interested in a, in a startup out of Zug in Switzerland, mm -hmm. which uh, is building a platform to tokenize alternative assets. So an alternative asset can be in the world that you and I know, for instance, uh, venture capital, could be effectively a private equity fund yeah. or a venture capital fund. So you could actually tokenize part of that, that asset and make it public for more people. So why is it that access to, to venture capital investment is only reserved to LPs, which are pension funds and you know, sometimes family offices, but not to the wider public? So giving us access to different types of assets, which can be you know, other things. It can be obviously uh, commodities, it could be uh, real estate assets, it can be uh, building development in Berlin, giving access to more people through tokens. So this platform is about creating the tokens, but also being able to list the tokens effectively, as in you know, listing on the NASDAQ. Mm -hmm. It's called Smart Valor, based out of Switzerland. So very interesting application of uh, again of the of the blockchain and crypto technologies for something which I think will be will be more prevalent in and the future. That, and that theme of sort of crowdfunding coming in with a, in, onto a secure platform. Yeah, absolutely. It's democratizing access to to finance, access to investments. Uh, it's reducing the number of intermediaries who are basically taking so much of our money, basically making the most basic transactions. I don't think we can eliminate intermediaries, uh, even in the perfect world of the totally decentralized blockchains, but you can vastly reduce the number of intermediaries. Um, and I think that's quite exciting to, 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 to imagine a future where there's going to be less dependencies on large players like banks, governments, agencies, lawyers, notaries, you name it. If I could take you back in time, I could take you back to your, I don't know, at some point in, in, in the past. What, what's the one thing, maybe it's yo-yo, if, if I take you back five years, but feel free to go back further to another example if there's a better one. What, what would you do differently? What's the one thing you think to yourself, blimey, if only I could go back, I'd do that differently? Well, it's a hard question, Dominic. I think that there's an, a number, I've created different startups 
after having been a, a, a corporate executive at Visa. So I don't think I would change that part of my journey, which was to work in, in real companies. Particularly Visa was a great company to work for. But having created my first company in the year 2000, uh, having had an exit from it and, and learned a lot of lessons, I don't think I've applied the lessons of effectively a successful first venture into my you know, subsequent ones. So um, there's been a period after, after that first company, which was called OB10, Global Electronic Invoicing Platform, where I've attempted to create things and, and making some very basic mistakes over first-time entrepreneur and uh, to, so that I would change you know like I didn't make these mistakes with Yo-Yo we created a, a company with two other individuals which was I would say almost by the book in terms of the way the professional way we went about it um, the amount of money we raised which was enough as opposed to not enough which is obviously a problem often where you are you have drip feed of money which and you go nowhere so I've a, you know, a lot of the mistakes that I made I, you know I basically avoided them with yo-yo but there's been a transition a period in transition where I think how the hell did I make these mistakes so I've attempted to create a company out of Asia which didn't work out dysfunctional team poor evidence of market demand very low understanding of competitive landscape, inability to understand that investors had a, had a very different mindset there than, uh, than in Europe. And so that's one thing I would do differently is like really, really document the mistakes you've made and make sure you don't make them again in the, in the next one. Thankfully, you know, I didn't make them in yo-yo. We always make a few mistakes, obviously, but the fundamental ones that can actually trip you over. I'm really proud of what we've done with Yo-Yo. I mean, it's really going well. It's growing, and you know, it's getting the attention of very large, very large companies as well. It's Number beautiful. one payment platform in Europe? I wouldn't call Wallet. it a payment platform. Wallet. We're definitely a platform that uh, incorporates payment, but also is the number one new generation payment rails. They're not replacing existing rails. I think it's, it would be arrogant to for anybody to say we're going to replace you know, the Visa, Mastercard rails. I know that there are some blockchain sort of wild ideas about that, right? But I let other people worry about that stuff. I think that the important thing is that we've created the very new generation rails, which transport their data that really matters. The new oil is the data, right? Yeah. That data is the basket data, which Netflix and Amazon use so well and you want every retailer to be able to use that data to the benefit of their consumers. That's what Yo-Yo is built, and only Yo-Yo is built those rails. So it's definitely the number one data platform for retailers. And then manifestation of you know what we do is through apps that combines payment and loyalty. It can be retailer apps, it can be Yo-Yo app, it can be apps within the banking apps. So we're really reaching out to more more people, more retailers by also partnering with Visa, for instance. So I really like to think of us as the, that new generation data platform, which uh, is for the, the digitally native. And thinking about the things you've learned, mistakes you haven't made or have made, what is there a business book that you recommended or that you is your favorite or? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not uh, a keen reader of a lot of business books. I like to read books that make me learn something about a, a subject matter like you know blockchain, the, the business blockchain by Mugaya. It's a great book I've read recently. Okay. So if you wanted to know 
the basics of blockchain and how it relates a little bit to what happened in the 90s around the internet, that's a great book to read. Now, there was a book that actually um, I've actually thought about many times, which is not a business book, but I've always thought about it in the context of business. It's a book that I found on the beach in Cuba in 2004 or something, which uh, is a book by Che Guevara, the uh, revolutionary. And it's about, it's basically life in the jungle when they were actually making their way up to Havana. And it's all about basically the perseverance and just continuing the journey no matter what. It's, it's almost like take no prisoners, but it's, it's about, there's a single goal and the goal is capturing Havana and what they have to endure in the jungle in terms of suffering and so on, which always really made a mark on me. I'm not making a political statement here about you know the merits of, of, of the, uh, the, the, the the communist revolution in in, uh, in Havana. I'm just saying, you know, the way he writes about you know the single-mindedness was actually something that I've applied in in, in, in business, in the sense of you got to be very clear about your your ultimate goal when you create a company, and basically make sure that you are doing everything and you make your team do everything towards that goal and avoid distractions. So it's not a big business book, but I recommend it to, to anybody who wants to, to learn about how to be single-minded about something and the just go for it. Yeah. The power of focus. Yeah. That's brilliant. Thank you very much indeed. Well, you're welcome. Thank you. The Melting Pot was hosted by Dominic Monkhouse, and you can find out more about Dom on LinkedIn, just search for Dominic Monkhouse or his companies, Foundry Media or Foundry 51.